You're listening to The B Word Unpacked, brought to you by Good Stock Consulting. Hey listeners, we are honored, excited, and definitely on fire to be sharing our experiences and outlook with you through this podcast. So very true, Kelly. We are pumped to be launching this podcast through which we'll be unpacking a number of different B topics with you, like from birth to balance to boss, you name it. We got a lot of unpacking to do. One thing we know to be true is that no matter what the B word is, we know that one B word will run through all these discussions. So ladies, let's unpack black. Welcome Welcome to to the B side. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is an individual's first experience with their blackness. You know, your first recognition of the fact that you actually are black, be that positive or negative. My son, Max, is five, and he certainly sees that there are differences between him and his friends at school. But at his age, he doesn't fully grasp what these differences can mean or how they impact the way in which people move in the world. That said, I'd love to hear about one or two of your early childhood experiences that shaped the way in which you perceive, recognize, or understand your blackness. Eb, let's start with you. Well, you know, Kelly, it's kind of funny that you mentioned your son, Matt, because I was very early on um, in age when I recognized blackness, and it came in the most unusual form. So I went to an all-black elementary school. Actually, there were two white kids. Um, shout out to to Chris and to doggone Cynthia. I don't know how y'all survived, but all black school. So <laughs> in the third grade, uh, I was getting really excited. It was Black History Month. Um, and I had chosen to do a paper mache model of Charles Drew. Charles Drew, as y'all know, or you should know, is the father of transfusion, a black man that literally perfected how we store blood products. So clearly you can see I was a nerd nerd because in the third grade, that was my absolute hero. Um, so I was getting really excited about this celebration of Black History Month. And one of my classmates, which I will not mention your name, but LS, you know exactly who you are, uh, came over to me and told me that you can't celebrate Black History Month because you're not black. And in that moment, that was the first time that I ever realized that there was like a a colorism in ways because um, the way I looked, my skin tone, my hair texture, I wasn't in that moment being considered black. And so I felt like an other even within my own people. Um, and I think that was really when I, I kind of turned this corner of almost being a, a true militant in ways when it came to um, defining my blackness. Because like I mean, my name literally means black. Um, so it, it was just a it was just a moment of where it was a test of how black is black and what where do I lie on that spectrum. Damn, Ab, that was deep. Yeah, that no, was right. deep. That bro. was deep. I was in the third grade. Eight yo. Jesus. Right, right. Well, mine is probably um I can vividly remember maybe about at age five, I was out at Marshall's with my mom. <laughs> Love Marshall. Love Marshall's. Love and we Marshalls. stayed at Marshall's like weekly. Like everybody knew her name. Right. And the thing that I remember when I first recognized that not only was I black, but it was dark skin. Mm-hmm. And so this woman came up to my mom and was like, Della, you have such a beautiful dark skin girl. Mm-hmm. And I was 
I said, thank you, you know, because it is a compliment and I felt like it was a compliment and it felt genuine. But throughout my life, I realized that every every time someone called me beautiful, they attached dark skin. And I didn't take offense to it until I got to college and I had a friend tell me, a guy friend tell me that he didn't date guys that were darker than a paper bag. Guys? Mm. I mean, girls. Girls. He didn't date girls. That wasn't a Freudian slip, for real. Okay. He was like... (laughs) But I meant to say girls, he didn't date girls that were darker than um, a paper bag. And I thought, wait a minute, that's a thing. Like, mm-hmm. this is a thing. And I feel, I mean, now at nearly 40, I feel like I was so naive in college to believe that this is life. That colorism is a thing, you know? And so that led me on a quest to really try to understand this whole new world of colorism and what that meant. And I picked up a book, um, Our Kind of People. And not only did it talk about black people and colorism, but it also talked about classism. Mm -hmm. And you know, these um, elite societies that we have, like the Lynx or Jack and Jill. And these are organizations that I had never heard of before. Remember, like, first episode, I told y'all, I'm a country girl, born and raised, first-generation college student. I had no concept of what these groups were, what they meant, and um, even the prestige that was associated with them. And so I just, I learned a lot from just those two episodes and who I was, what it means to be black, but what it even means to be dark-skinned. And it's crazy that I didn't really fully learn that until college. Right. Hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. Thinking about my experiences, it takes me back to the playground. I was about six or seven years old. I think I shared in the first episode that I grew up overseas. I grew up in Germany, and I can distinctly remember playing with a group of boys. I was a total tomboy coming up, and these little boys came up to me, and they were like, Kelly, you look like a niggakus. And a niggakus, a niggakus, y'all. And a niggakus is better, a, That better be okay. German okay. for a beautiful okay. princess. Okay, for, for royal queen. For royal translate queen. that for me. I, I'm going to translate it. Okay. It's basically, it's a little chocolate-covered marshmallow dessert that you can get at any bakery. Well, they should have said a s'more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what they should have said. That sounds cute. That, that sounds, sounds much, much, much more respectful. But yeah, those little boys told me that I looked like a nigga, of course, and I had honestly never thought of myself. I know this might sound silly, but I never thought of myself as brown or different than, than them. And so I went back home and told my mama, I was like, mama, these boys called me a nigga, of course. And she said, they called you what? And so basically that was the first time it really clicked that I was so different from everyone around me. And you know, growing up, I heard oftentimes, oh, you know, you're an Oreo, another reference to black on the outside and white on the inside. I'm sure y'all have probably heard that at some point, too. So several times that was my first uh, foray into the understanding or recognition of my blackness. So those early memories of blackness really influence how each of us show up in the world. I mean, like these were early childhood events that I know shaped us into who we are today Mm -hmm. Um, and how we move through the world and how we even carry ourselves. But what about what we're doing currently? Like right now in terms of blackness and culture, just in America, I mean, listen, like Obama's election changed some things. I mean, it started some conversations about uh, 
Oh, no. Let's take this back. It really started a conversation that annoys me to bits and pieces about this quote unquote post-racial America. And let's be serious. We're not there. We are so mm-hmm. not there. We are not there. We Look at our are. society. Right. Yeah, We're literally sitting at the intersection of wokeness and Donald Trump. Right. right. Hello. Right. Hello. We know that black women and, and not even as black people, but black women specifically, we face like evidence, proof, adversities. We are like the least respected of of all of the groups and ranging from SES to bias to discrimination. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day, all day, the microaggressions that we have to deal with. So what are we paying attention to right now as black women? What are we trying to do to make sure that we're focused and we're staying in line with conversations, but using those conversations to move us in the right direction? I mean, it's one of those things, I think, to move us in the right directions, we need to start to control the narrative. Um, and at this day and time, when we're looking at black women in particular, we are criticized for the way our hips are formed. We're criticized Hello. for the way our lips look. We're criticized for the darkness of our skin and for the curliness of our hair. And yet, day after day after day, there's injections being placed. There are injections of the lips, of the hips. Huh. There's implants being placed. Mm. There's people going to tanning beds. There are people going literally spray tanning themselves and now injecting melanin into their skin so they can darken their skin to look Wait, more like us. That's a thing? That is a thing. Melanin is rich, honey. What? Okay, now I might be on the poor scale. Okay, <laughs> All right. But what I do know for sure is that my melanin... Hashtag my skin that, problems. Look, right, Hashtag right. It sells, by the, <laughs> right. it sells by the gram, okay? So, so that being said, though, we need to, as black women, start to control the narrative and I think we're doing a beautiful job with that with this whole um, black girl magic movement that we have for our little children. I think that is very, very important. But then we see things today, like, for instance, the crowning of all the queens. We have Mm -hmm. Miss Universe, Mm -hmm. Miss USA, Miss America, Miss Teen USA, Miss World, all of which are black. Don't name them people of color. No, no. They are black. Say the name. They are black Say the women. name. Proudly. Yes. And, and, and to see them wear the, their natural hair, to see them going out and celebrating the tone of their skin, and, and there's, no, there's no apologies for being their true, authentic black self. That's how we control the narrative. That's how we own the stage. And we don't ask someone for a seat at the table. We are the table. We're the ta- that's representation, that's, my that's dear. Representation. That's representation. And not just sitting at the table, but bringing a bench. Hello. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. When I get a seat, mm-hmm. I need to bring a seat for mm-hmm. my sister girl. Right. Yep. I need, And not right. just a sister girl, but my qualified sister girl. And probably my highly qualified sister girl who right. probably should have been at the table before me. What? Did you see the support? Did you, did you, did see, you the see the support the su- from Jamaica? Listen, <laughs> I, why was I crying? Jamaica was my best why friend. Why was I crying? Jamaica was me. Now I'm trying to follow her. I am. Yep. Because that's the type of support. When I say we change the narrative, the way we change the narrative is that if we see one of our sisters shining, Hello. we yep. beam that light. Yes. We hold yes. that reflector to say, yes. here she is. And that way, it's not a dimming of our own light. Like you say all the time, Kim. Yeah. What do you say, Kim? Sharing that candle. Right. A candle yep. loses nothing by lighting another. Listen, adjust your sister's crown. I love that. Yeah. Listen, adjust your sister's crown. Yeah. That's how we that's how we don't have to worry about what other people call us. When you know yourself, you don't answer to any other name. But I really believe that's inherent in us as black people. Mm -hmm. We are naturally nurturing. We are naturally built to be in community and depend and rely and be accountable to each Mm -hmm. other. And and we lost that somewhere. We lost that in 
trying I don't think, to. I don't think we lost it, friend. I feel like we've lost it. I, I, I honestly, the reason why I don't think we lost it. Look at any video that goes viral about social injustice. I don't care if it's a, a black person that's having social injustice. I don't care if it's a white person in Starbucks having social injustice. Who jumps to the defense every single time? You right. do. A black woman. Mm-hmm. If you look at democracy, the saving of the Democratic Party, we make up only 13% of the population as far as black people together. Yep. 6% of those are black women. And who is the base of the entire Democratic Party? The black woman. We have never lost that position. Other people may have called us different things, but our position as being a nurturer and the carrier has always and will always remain because that's just innately who we are. That's what we're built to do. But that's the pressure. We're talking about black women. I want black families. I want black men. I want people to recognize who we are as a collective without categorizing us as monolithic. For sure. But I don't think we're monolithic in our approach. There are some people who are political, right? And there's True. other people who, when I'm walking down the street, when I was in elementary school, before I got to the house, I was already chastised by, <laughs> you know, Miss Carrie. We we got everybody giving me a whoop because they don't hurt. There you go. They don't hurt. I want to get back to that. They don't hurt. Yeah. I want to get back to that. That's what we need to get back to. Grandma's who grandma. Right. Grandma as a verb. Because grandma. grandma is a verb. And a, a noun, a verb. A noun listen, and a verb. Listen. Okay. I, or an adjective. You hey, have to be a grammar. Okay. Listen. But it, like is one, it is one of those yeah. things. I think we've allowed other people to tell us that we've lost that. But if you think about the, your, your, your core people who you hang around. We speak life into each other. We do. We speak life into the kids. And it's important. Right? We got it. We got got it. Yeah. We got it. Our children will become the expectations that we set. Listen. And are they amazing? the expectations that they believe. And are they amazing? They are amazing. They are amazing. Right. So y'all, what about black women in the working world? Black women in business. So we know the three of us launched Goodstock Consulting last summer, in the summer of 2018, www.goodstockconsulting.com. Look Check us, us out right. online, Hello. please. Look us up. So I'm about to drop some quick facts on y'all. And in future podcasts, whenever I or my crew drops facts, you're going to hear this sound. And if you really, really want to learn more about the information that we're sharing, check out the show description after the podcast. So a few things. We know that women-owned businesses have grown five times faster than the national average since 2007. And those businesses are fueled primarily by Black and Hispanic women. We also know, and this is a quick little Black history fact, y'all, that in 2009, Ursula Burns became the first black woman to head a Fortune 500 company and then stepped down back in 2016. So so what do we think about those big picture facts? That's deep. The one and only black woman to head a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. I think you can see it in one of two ways, and it depends on your personality, I would assume. Either it motivates you or it makes you feel defeated. You're defeated? Yeah. Well, I feel motivated only Same. because I surround myself with bosses. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I, if I can see you, in fact, I heard a sermon said, if someone in your circle is being blessed, that means that God is in your neighborhood. Hello. So he's yep. not too far Hello. away, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's important to curate who is in your circle so that you can see it 
and you know that it's real and it becomes so concrete. And, you know, I get particularly really, really motivated in that I think of the fact that my mother was in the third grade when they integrated schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this has been within a lifetime cycle for me that we go from not even being able to be to being the the lead of yep. this of this company. So when I say again as far as black people, the ingenuity, the the amount of talent and the amount of of power that we have from what we've learned along the way before there was even an education tied to it, it's innately in us. We created it. And so if we've already sprinted to the top and and shattered that ceiling, I can only imagine what my niece, my nephew, what my children are going to be able to accomplish because of the works of the people that have come before us. It's funny that you talk about that ceiling because it makes me think of what we always call the glass ceiling, mm-hmm. right? And unfortunately for black women, it's more like a concrete mm-hmm. ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it not only affects how we progress in our career, but even how we try to coexist in a system mm-hmm. that wasn't built to... Um, acknowledge or even accept us, I believe. And I don't know if I'm being super emotional Mm -hmm. on that one, but Mm -hmm. that's, I don't feel like most corporate structures were designed to accept, acknowledge, and even um, really accentuate the strengths as that we bring as black women. Think about it. In corporate America, I couldn't even wear my hair in the style Hello. that it currently is Hello. without people looking at me Hello. side-eyed. Hello. Why That's why I make that a law. Why is that a law? You know why? You why guys, is you, that a law? Y'all are asking a question. The very Constitution of the United States of America, you are an amendment. So y'all talking about corporations, these little businesses come and goes. We're talking about the foundation of America. Mm -hmm. You are an amendment. Mm -hmm. So whenever someone tries to throw the Constitution in my face or throw society... I literally say I wasn't being thought of. Huh. So when when you're not being thought of, what you have to do is create your own, and that's that's where I'm where I want black women, black people, any just anyone that's oppressed in general, if they don't give you a seat at a table, create Build a your damn own table. table, claim your Build space, create table. your own table, claim and that's what we have to do. You know, it, it, as far as in the medical field, you know, that do do think there's a tension between black women feeling both hyper visible in their workspaces and also feeling invisible, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time. Like mm-hmm. for instance, female African American doctors represent roughly two percent of the nation's eight hundred and seventy seven thousand physicians, right? Mm. And if I could give a couple shout outs, <laughs> um, hey. Sheree, Sheree Walker, <laughs> all right. Sheree. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. We have Keisha McCausland. Hey, right? We're down in Miami handling anesthesia like a pro. You know, we have Kan Kanasha Gleaton, right? Hey, Here in Charleston. Hey, uh, hey. In Charleston we have Paula Orr. We hey, have Dr. Lisa Orr. Foley, right? Orr. I can go on and on and on because I also have Alyssa Trade. Y'all want me to stop? Dr. I was going to say Rash- I was gonna Rashonda, right. Rashonda Mitchell, <laughs> Kendra Ham. You know, these are all my yes. girls. We are we are pl- we are mighty in our specialties mm-hmm. and we really do like cover all the specialty groups. And what we're starting to say is we're going to start like we did with Goodstock. If there isn't a seat at a table for us to discuss these issues that directly impact us, we're going to create our own table. So with all of that information, y'all, we want you to be bothered. And you should be. Hashtag be bothered. But here's the thing. We know that there's 
a such thing as a black community. We talked about it. There's no such thing as. You don't think so? You said there is. There or is. is. We are a black community, but we're not monolithic. That right. I can agree with. That. Yep. Okay. Right. So we are a black community. Oh, absolutely. Yet mm-hmm. we are not monolithic. Mm-hmm. So we're going to change things up a bit today. What I want us to do is share what we love about being black. Child. What you love? What you so love, much, Kelly? So much. I mean. Besides the fact that black don't crack, um, right. I gotta say, it's the swagger, y'all. Oh. The swag, the mm. sheer swag. I feel like we are able to bring such creativity and just fire to every situation that we step into. I think about how how folks got so just almost in awe of how Obama walked. And, yes. and, and I just wanted to be like, that, that's just swag. Okay. That's just swagger. He's yes. just right. walking down the street right. as a black he man. Daddy gave him that. Daddy gave him that. I mean, it's just the innateness of the Rihannas, the Beyonce's, yes. of the Kims, the Ebbs, the everybody in my circle. Hey. And the hey. one thing I want to point out is that you know, we, the three of us sitting around this table, we're not that unique. There are so many so other Special, talented, educated, fabulous thousands. black people. All of us. Thousands, thousands. Millions, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just the swagger, this confidence, this ability to create and recreate situations to make them beautiful. Right. And that really links to my second piece, and that's resilience. I mean, the fact that we came over here on slave ships, huh. y'all, right. side by side, mm-hmm. shackled next right. to people who died next right. to us, huh. right? And we are able to sit here today and record this podcast. The fact that my mama got locked up multiple, multiple times during the civil rights movement, Listen. wearing a cute little suit and a Listen. pillbox hat, came, <laughs> came up out of solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still cute and I am still fighting. She probably for my out life. on a sweater set, didn't Girl, she? You know it. The <laughs> pearls, right? With the pearls. She's classy. But I mean, it's just this sense of resilience that we are going to bounce back no matter what. I mean, I think about people who I've seen during my travels who literally have nothing mm-hmm. who literally will scrape the yolk out of an egg so that there's not a drop and left make a cake. in that and Girl, make a cake and make a cake yeah and make a cake mm-hmm. so i just love the fact that we are able to bounce back despite the fact that we have the poorest health outcomes the huh. poorest mm-hmm. financial outcomes mm-hmm. some of the poorest economic and educational mm-hmm. outcomes and still we rise it's a cliche but still, still we rise. rise shout out to Maya Angela. hey okay all right and it, you know it's funny I actually did a whole um, video YouTube video you can look it up it's called the greatness of a slave child's DNA but um but literally that speaks to that because it really is encoded everything that should have killed us could mm-hmm. not kill us and we not only just survived we thrived yes. yes very important and when I when I think about blackness the thing that gets me like I said super excited I've always felt this way is that if I go on a scientific level, so when we think about the color black, most time people describe that as being a void, right? Mm-hmm. It's the background noise. But actually, if you look on a scientific level, all colors is a form of a wavelength of light. And wavelength of light is energy source, right? If you have a faster wavelength, the shorter the band, the longer the band, kind of the, the weaker the wavelength, right? Right. But all, all light all colors are energy sources. Well, black is literally the absorption of all wavelengths. It reflects nothing back. So when you think about that, black people, what I what I what that means is how powerful is that? You absorb all energy, energy. that comes to you, which is why I do think that when that, that not only black women but black people in general are 
a loving people because you're empathic. You you feel all the energy that's kind of coming towards you. And how do you deal with that? You know, how do you how do you take in that much power at once? Um, so again, protect your energy. But the other thing that I love about black people on the scientific level, we literally defy. So black people, <laughs> when we're talking about hair, like you said, in corporate America, we have to change our hair. Honestly, when you think about the difference in how your hair grows naturally out of your head, it grows out in the shape of a crown. And the amazing thing of it is, if you think on the scientific level of gravity, there's only certain laws that the, that nature follows. Only certain laws. The sound, the, the you know, speed of light, the speed of sound, right? Gravity. Well, your hair literally defies gravity. If you pick up any other person's hair, you pick up a piece of paper, you pick it up in air, you let it go, it drops, drops. right? Black people, you defy <laughs> everything about you. It's absolutely <laughs> magical. Really and that's why it. yep. it's one of those things when, when LS, again, you know who you were when you tell me that I would not celebrate Black History Month. Still come on LS. She coming for you, LS. But when that it hit me to my core because from very early on, I could see that and I could appreciate it. And that's why when you walk into the room, the room stops to give you knowledge, to acknowledge you. Because everything about you is absolutely magical. Yeah. I think you guys kind of spoke to what I'm most proud of and what I love most about being black is that sense of community. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you see it when you walk through the mall, when you walk into a corporate boardroom, when you walk into a restaurant, you look for the other black people in the space. Do you not? Hey girl, and what hey, do yes. we do? What do you do? Head nod. Head nod. Yeah, a little smile. Yeah, a little wink. We connect. Everything. Mm -hmm. We connect. Mm -hmm. And I think something is so special about that because it lets the other person know that I see you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Despite all of this going on in the world, I see you. Mm -hmm. And it's important to be seen. Um, The second thing that I probably love the most is our sense of pride. That goes back to Kelly's swagger. Like, despite what we have, we are so proud Mm -hmm. and we wear that so well. And when you see us in the space, you would think the people that have the worst outcomes and the the poorest, quote unquote, how are we setting the trends? Yep. We are Everybody's the trends. How are we the trends? We are Everybody. the trends. How does everybody want to be it? You know, and so I really love that about being black because I know that even when I don't try, I'm still the best. Mm-hmm. Still fly. Mm-hmm. I'm still fly. It's in my DNA. It's in my DNA. Right. And it's something that I can't control. And Check I hope that all black people have that sense of confidence when they walk into spaces because I know and you won't have it every day. Some days will be down days, but I want you to remind yourself and speak to yourself daily saying you are not just enough, but you are more than mm-hmm. enough. And just because you woke up this morning, you are everything you need to be. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yes. All right. Yes, ladies. Yes. So that was a full episode. That's, an That's episode. it. We unpacked a lot today, girl. Yes. 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 So friends, our B-Pack Thanks for tuning in. Keep listening to the B word. We're going to release these. We're going to drop these weekly for you. But we also want to know what you think. We want to know what are some other B words that we should be exploring. But we want to know your thoughts about today's episodes too. Interact with us. Discuss with us so that we know that we're bringing you the news that you can actually use. And until next time, let's keep unpacking y'all. Learn more about Goodstock Consulting at www.goodstockconsulting.com. Be sure to follow on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.